For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sounds of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. And if even an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at the time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Good day. Thank you. Hello, everybody. How are you going? Uh, Terry is my name. I'm one of the elders here. Nice to see you all here. A few fresh faces since I was here last time, which is always very encouraging to me. So uh, in uh, amongst all that, you on your newsletter, I should have got a newsletter, it's a little ha um, sermon outline on the back there with a fill in the blanks for those of you. If that's helpful for you, uh, please do that. But uh, certainly one of the things we do need to do is uh, share a prayer together. So let's do that. <clears throat> dear help us, dear Lord, please help us. Um, please help me to open your word faithfully. Help us all here to hear and to listen. Help us to respond. Lord, please shape our hearts, uh, change our feelings and our attitudes and our behaviours. Uh, change us and shape us to be more like your son and to be your faithful people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I have a dream destination. Yeah, maybe it's, uh, to you, not a very big dream or a very ambitious dream, but frankly, to me, it's become something of an obsession. Uh, I want to go to New Zealand. Um, you know, to me, New Zealand, particularly the South Island of New Zealand, sounds absolutely magical. There's uh, the mountains and the glaciers and Milford Sound and the glowworm tunnels and the hot springs and the trout fishing and the hobbits and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, I, I just can't wait to get there, and I am planning on getting there, uh, and we are actually trying to book things even uh, virtually as we speak. Um, but <clears throat> I'm going to share with you something very, very sad, and please don't judge me on this, uh, but I was cleaning out my desk at home recently, and I found a brochure for New Zealand when we first started talking about going there, and uh, the brochure is dated... 2002. So 16 years is a long time to make it to your dream destination. But on the other hand, the time does really fly, doesn't it? And, you know, it doesn't seem like 16 years to me uh, since we first started. 
And, you know, philosophically, at the end of the day, what really matters is not when we get there, but that we do get there. And God willing, we are finally going to get there, hopefully, um, next year. That's the plan. Uh, well, Hebrews uh, makes the same point, but not about New Zealand, but about heaven. Uh, you know, what really matters with heaven is not uh, when we get there, but that by holding on to Jesus, we actually do get there. And uh, today's passage that we've just heard read is really, doctrinally, it's kind of like a grand summary of all that uh, uh, we've been looking at as we've looked at the book of Hebrews uh, in the last couple of months. I'm not sure how much of Hebrews you've been doing at Church at Five, but it's been a bit of a journey for us uh, in the mornings. And it drives home, uh, this passage drives home what the book of Hebrews, to get you up to speed, has been saying again and again in that book, and that is uh, the difference, the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, uh, which is the contrast between law and grace, and between faith and works, and between what I do and what Jesus has done. And it does this tonight with this dramatic contrast, which is the contrast between two mountains, two possible destinations, uh, that is Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. So we're going to start with Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, of course, is the, the mountain, if you know your Old Testament, where Moses and Israel received the Ten Commandments, the, the law and all the rules of the, the Old Testament. So you, you know the story about Moses receiving the, the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. Now, you know, I, I guess uh, a lot of people, when we talk about things like major events like that in the Old Testament, people go, oh, it would be really cool to have been there. Wouldn't it? I'd love to have seen that. We don't get to see that sort of thing nowadays. You know, wouldn't that have been great to have been there and seen, you know, Mount Sinai and God and the stone tablets and all that sort of stuff? Uh, well, I might get you to rethink that. So let's uh, go to, uh, you know, you heard a little bit about it on uh, in Hebrews, but I'm going to read a bit from Exodus chapter 19. So... Um, it's pretty dark in here, but what I'm going to do is, if it helps, is just close your eyes and try to imagine what the experience was actually like if you actually were there. So have a listen. Uh, Exodus 19. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain and a loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. So blazing fire and gloom and smoke and storm and trumpets blasting and the thundering voice of God, it wasn't cool to be there at all. It was, in a word, absolutely, well, two words, absolutely terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And the reason for that is, of course, on Sinai, Israel encountered God's terrifying holiness. Now, in the book of Hebrews, uh, verse 18 there, it uh, refers to Mount Sinai as the mountain that could be touched. Well, in fact, you couldn't touch the mountain, you were dead if you did, but the idea of that, that it could be touched is that it was a physical mountain. Uh, so it represents a physical uh, 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 mountain, earthly and created part of the creation. 
Sinai also, because of its association with the, with the Ten Commandments and the law, Sinai kind of symbolises here the old covenant as a whole. And it, certainly it symbolises law and judgment uh, by a holy God. Now, I think for us, uh, the way to think about this, helpfully, is, is ultimately in Hebrews, Sinai represents a belief. Uh, and it is a belief that on Judgment Day, you are going to be able to approach a holy God by keeping the law, uh, by keeping the Ten Commandments and the law of the Old Testament. Now, uh, even today, lots of people... Uh, including Christians as well as non-Christians, uh, because of the way our minds work and our hearts are, uh, we can believe that by being good enough or being religious enough, God is going to be satisfied and let us into his heaven. In other words, we start think that we can merit being there, that uh, by keeping the law, you know, we are going to be saved, that the law is going to save us on Judgment Day. And my brother's a good example of this, uh, not a Christian, though sometimes he claims to be one, uh, but basically he has said to me that he thinks he'll be okay with God because he keeps the Ten Commandments. So what do you do with that? Well, you've got to think about what he really means by that. And, and you know, what he means really is that, you know, on some days he does manage to keep some of those. I mean, I presume he's never murdered anybody, but, you know, on some days he does manage to keep some of God's law. Uh, yeah, but whether, in fact, that's actually, you know, by design, in fact, that he's purposely trying to keep God's law, or whether it's just by accident, in other words, he happens to, his moral, personal moral compass lines up with God's law, or whether it's actually a lack of opportunity, um, you know, in other words, the, the circumstances wasn't there for him to, for example, cheat on his wife or cheat on his tax return or lie about somebody to benefit himself. You know, there are all the different ways that you or he, he or you or I might keep some of the law some of the time. But of course, to truly keep the law as a way of being right with God doesn't mean keeping some of the law some of the time. It means keeping all of the law all of the time, every day. And that is because, again, because God is holy. And so here's something to be aware of with the law is that now, when we think about the law and, and uh, the commandments and so forth, is that the law ultimately does not save us. In fact, the law condemns us. And that's because the law exposes our sinfulness. The law exposes our selfishness um, and it exposes our desires. It exposes our greed. So, uh, are you trying to be right with God by being good or... Otherwise, by being religious. Um, if you are, then I'm afraid that you are actually on the wrong mountain. You are on Sinai in that case. And if you're on Sinai, then one day uh, when you reach heaven, you are actually going to encounter God's terrifying holiness. And the law then is not going to save you. The law is going to convict you. So that's the first mountain, Mount Sinai. It is terrifying, it is the law, it is judgment, uh, it is the mountain that you do not want to come to. Uh, yeah. So, you know, personally, I'm going to cross Sinai off my bucket list of places to go. Um, what about the second mountain? What about Mount Zion? 
Uh, it's a funny name, Zion, and uh, it's a bit of a concept to get your head around. But basically, the easiest way to think about it is that Zion, or Mount Zion, is the mountain on which the city of Jerusalem was built, and, uh, and the temple were built as well. And so, in a sense, it's, in the Old Testament, it was kind of the place where God's presence lived. Uh, also, though, of course, Zion, of Zion uh, or Mount Zion, is the place where Jesus was crucified. And so, I think ultimately in Hebrews, Zion represents both heaven itself and also the cross, the cross by which we come to heaven. And so verses 22 to 24 is a bit like our travel brochure for heaven. Uh, you know, so what has Zion got to offer? Well, let's have a look. Uh, but I think before we do, let's, let me just summarise it, by saying it, it summarise it by saying this one word, that Zion is glorious. So if you're really doing your outline, Zion is glorious. So what, is, what have we got here? Well, first up, verse 22. It is the city of the living God. And what does that mean? Well, for a start, God lives there. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact of a place that is suitable for God to live. Um, but, you know, kings live in palaces. Uh, presidents stay in presidential suites. Uh, so try to imagine a place that is suitable for God to live. So nothing impure lives there. Um, there's no sin. There's no effects of sin. So there's no disease. There's no hunger. There's no pain. Uh, there's no, no cancer, there's no anger, there's no jealousy, there's no broken relationships, all that sort of stuff. You know, in fact, in heaven, you know, if, if you're in heaven, then you are, you're going to be so happy and you're going to be so loved and you're going to be so content. And there's not going to be any bad stuff happening in there at all, ever again. So it is the city of the living God. It is also glorious, as we said before. Um, so the image here of the angels is, you know, imagine a place where there's thousands and thousands of angels and they are singing and celebrating and worshipping God. Uh, you know, it's like a sensory overload of unrestrained praise. So think about what we're doing here when we're singing together, which is fantastic, but, you know, crank it up by an awful lot. And that's what it's going to be like. It's just this sensory experience of praise to God. Uh, verse 23, it is the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written. So what does that mean? Well, um, in Luke 10, Jesus says to the uh, disciples, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. In Revelation 21, God says, nothing profane will ever enter heaven. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. So um, have you, any of you ever turned up at a holiday uh, booking or a hotel booking and your name wasn't there in the reservation book? Uh, you know, that is a bad situation, okay? Well, imagine that multiplied like a gazillion times, you know, if you turn up to heaven and your name is not in that book. You really, really, really want your name in that book, so I've got to ask you, is it, by the way? <laughs> Do you know your name is in that book? Are you sure? Are you certain? If you're not sure and you're not certain and you don't know, well, please come and talk to one of the elders afterwards or talk to one of your friends here from church uh, who you trust. 
On Zion we come to God, who is the judge of all. Now, I think we said on Sinai the idea of uh, uh, God as judge didn't sound very appealing at all, did it? Uh, but the thing is that on Zion, this other mountain, this situation is quite different altogether. So the way to think about it this way, about coming into the presence of God the judge, is that we are going to be in the presence of the one who is Lord of all, who is above everything, who ordains everything, who rules everything. And yes, he is the judge of all things, but at the same time, we are going to be safe there and we are going to be welcome there because of Jesus. So what an awesome, mind-blowing experience that's going to be. Still, verse 23, to come to Zion is to be with the spirits of righteous people made perfect. Now, the righteous people made perfect he's talking about there is the, the, the people from the Old Testament who demonstrated their faith in God. Uh, you know, in other words, we're going to be rubbing shoulders with all these famous people from the Old Testament like you know, Moses and Noah and Abraham and uh, David and Elijah and Jeremiah and Josiah and Joshua and, and Ruth and Joseph. They're all going to be there. And so if you've got any questions about, you know, we talked this morning about Noah and the ark and, you know, if you've got questions like what happened to the unicorns and all that sort of thing, well, you can talk to Noah about it. You get the first hand, you know, how it all worked out for him on the day. So, you know, but the thing is, it's just going to be amazing to, to actually meet all these people that we've read about and know so much about. And, you know, it's going to be fantastic. And, of course, to come to Zion... You know, lastly, but most definitely, most definitely not leastly, um, to come to Zion is to come to Jesus himself. You know, Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. In other words, he's the one who, who makes all of this possible. And he did that, of course, because he died on that cross for our sins. You know, his blood is sprinkled as a sacrifice on that mountain. He bled into that mountain, onto Zion. And his blood has bought our forgiveness if we put our trust in him, if we follow him. Because, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who opens the doors of heaven for us. And one day, as sure as, you know, I'm standing here and you're sitting there, we are going to meet Jesus face to face. <laughs> And, you know, if he's your Lord and your Saviour, you're going to be with him for eternity and you're going to be able to talk to him and it's just going to be an amazing thing to see Jesus face to face. That's got to be something to look forward to, doesn't it? I hope, I hope that that gets you excited and fills you with hope. So let me be perfectly clear before we move on, in case you fell asleep for the last 10 minutes. Okay, Zion good. Sinai bad. Okay? Right, let's move on. Right. Uh, now, at the end of the day, you can also say, put all that together and say, Zion represents grace. If, if, if Sinai is the law, then Zion is grace. And, of course, grace can be broken down as God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, this, this contrast between these two mountains is just so enormous, isn't it? And so there is a very strong warning here. You clearly don't want to end up be on this mountain. You clearly want to be on this mountain. 
And so the warning here in verses, from verses 25 to 20, 29 is very strong, as a lot of the warnings in Hebrews are, even for Christians who, you know, as we know, we're saved by grace, and yet we continue being warned about you know, the danger of falling away. Um, so here we go. So here's the, here's the summary of the warning that comes up, which is make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks. Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks. Now, who is the one who's, how does God speak to us today? Well, I mean, yes, Jesus speaks to us today, Jesus, you know, but how does Jesus speak to us? Through his word, by his spirit. And, you know, the whole Bible, of course, is God's word. The whole Bible is, is God's message to us, to you, uh, about Jesus, and it's about uh, our need for Jesus, and it's about, you know, how we come to know Jesus, which is, of course, through the Bible, and and, you know, how we are saved, um, you know, we're saved by reading the Bible and we learn how to live also by reading the Bible, how to live in response to what God's done for us, which you're going to talk about. And so the Bible is where we go to today to hear God speak to us. And God does speak to us today. Now that might seem, uh, so you guys have been around for a while now and uh, you've heard a lot of this before and so you just you might be going, oh yeah, I'm going to switch off the old brain there and just have a bit of a cruise along, you know. But this is probably the time to remind you that here in Hebrews right now, I mean, God has brought you here because God is speaking to you today through his word in Hebrews. And so the question then is, of course, right now, for example, you know, are you hearing or are you actually listening because I think there is a difference between hearing and listening. Uh, you know, it's very easy to develop uh, selective hearing, isn't it? Selective hearing is a way to think about it. And that, that means we're kind of only listening to parts of what we're hearing. So the words are there, but we're not really actually listening to it. I did my usual thing. I did some, some Googling, um, you know, looking for an image because I like visual images and ideas to play with. Um, and, uh, and I found one image which was, uh, was a, a device inserted in the husband's ear uh, when I googled selective hearing and uh, there was a switch and on the one switch said television and the other one said wife and uh, you know I decided I wouldn't use that illustration because it's totally inappropriate and so I'm not going to use that illustration. So I've gone the safe option, you'll be happy to know, and I'm going to talk about dogs because you know dogs are safe and everyone likes dogs. So you know you know, of course, that dogs are famous for selective hearing, don't you? Um, I, you know, I used to see uh, that uh, at work a, a lot in my, my former life. And some dogs actually do uh, love coming to the vet, believe it or not, and because uh, it's a kind of a bit of an outing with the, the family and it's somewhere different and it's all exciting and there's lots of smells and, you know, dogs got very good sense of smell and all that sort of thing. Anyway, um, you know, the, the classic, of course, is the big fat... 45 kilogram Labrador that bounces into the consult room and they're, they're sort of bouncing all around the place and they're sniffing everything and they're bashing into everything, you know, and they're making a great ruckus. And, you know, you're trying to examine the dog and you can't do that because the dog's bouncing everywhere and you're trying to talk to the client and you can't do that because the dog's smashing into everything. And so, you know, the, the, the owner, of course, being the owner, will, will try to take control of the situation because it's their dog and, you know, they're such you know, good owners. And so the, the owners will be going, sit, 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 and then they end up, sit! And, the, you know, the dog, what, 
what's happening there. It didn't matter how loudly they spoke or how often they said it or, you know, there was no change in the dog's attitude at all. There was definitely no change in the dog's behaviour at all, um, you know. Didn't matter what they said, how loud they said it. Uh, eventually, of course, though, the trick with that, a Labrador especially, as you all know, is you get out a treat, a bit of food, and you stand in front of them with the treat, and you go, sit, wow. <laughs> you know, immediate and complete obedience, listening very, very carefully. Good dog. Um, you know, it's really the same with us in many ways. How do you, how do you know you really are listening when God speaks? Well, your attitude changes and your behaviour changes. That's how you know. You become obedient to what he says. And so God is speaking to you right now, even though you might have heard this idea or these ideas before many times. Nevertheless, God is speaking to you right now and he is warning you from heaven. And he is warning us, again, not to reject Jesus, not to fall into the trap of thinking we're going to be okay without him not to fall in that trap of relying on our goodness or our religiousness, but rather come to Jesus, follow Jesus, trust in Jesus, hold on to Jesus. Don't try to come to God by your own merits. And that is why verse 28 says, we must hold on to grace in order to serve God acceptably. You see, we serve God or we worship God firstly by trusting him. That is worshipping God, to trust in him. And then only then and only then do we worship God and serve God by obedience to him. You know, by responding to the grace of God. You know, otherwise, if we're not doing it that way around, well then our good works is actually just prideful rebellion, isn't it? It's just us trying to be good enough on our own and thinking that we can be good enough for God, which we can't. We must hold on to grace in order to serve God acceptably. Now, once you've done that, of course, well, then it's a whole different ballgame. Then we do worship God with our whole lives. We worship him in so many aspects of our lives, in every aspect of our lives. Now, next week, of course, is... is uh, well, are you doing Hebrews? So you, you will be in the leadership series. So Hebrews 13 next week is that kind of uh, expands all this sort of stuff. So make sure you're here next week to hear about the practicalities, if you like, of serving God with your life. Um, you know, but let me just summarise very quickly for you, is that it's, you know... It's, it's how you live, how you uh, worship God with your time and you, with your, your house where you live and, and, you know, in the way that you treat your church, the members of your church. And it's, it's how you uh, follow your leaders. Um, and it is how you reach out to your neighbours. And it is, you know, if you're married, it's how you treat your spouse and how you regard your marriage. And for all of us, of course, it, it also is in our attitude to money. There's going to be more on all of that next week. And so we worship God, first of all, by submitting to him and holding on to him and trusting Jesus. And then, and then, after that, is by how we live. And so we we actually live, if you like, um, looking forward to heaven uh, rather than thinking that we're already in heaven. 
And it's an important difference in those two things. We're not in heaven yet. And there's something about this world we need to remember, and Hebrews is going to remind us again here. And that is that, you know, God did shake the mountain at Sinai. But he also says he is going to shake the world one more time. But it's only, you notice it's one more time. Why is it only one more time? Because it's going to be a very, very comprehensive shaking. Uh, it won't need to be done again. The Apostle Peter calls it the day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12. Let me read it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of the Lord. <clears throat> you see, everything physical, if you like, everything that has been tainted by sin, so the whole of creation, the mountains, the seas, the sky, the birds, the animal, people, the earth itself, you know, it's going to be a terrible and terrifying judgment and it's going to be an all-encompassing judgment and it's going to be a destruction that is you cannot escape uh, unless you are holding on to Jesus. So when's that day going to be? Well, we don't know. God hasn't told us. God knows when that day will be, but he has decided not to tell us when that day will be. But we do know with certainty that that day is coming. And we also know, as we said earlier, that time really does fly. So it's probably coming sooner than you think. Are you ready for it? And are you living for it? So the Christian's hope, our hope, is not in this physical world. Everything that's physical, everything that's here and now, it's all going. <laughs> our hope is in Zion, it is in heaven, it is in the cross of Christ, it is in Jesus. And that is the only hope that there is for anyone. And so, again, don't reject Jesus. Listen to his voice, hear it and obey it, and hold on to grace. Amen.